to Forecast, the Foreshadow podcast, seeking glimpses of heaven on earth through conversations about people's lives and work. This season, our theme is Called Forth, Vocation and Faith, asking who we are called to become and what we are called to do. Today, Will and I are taking a pause from our usual conversation interviews with other people, and instead, we'll take some time reflecting on the season so far. We'll revisit the model that we outlined in our first episode this season, and then overview the various conversations we've had and highlight what we've learned from the people we've been able to speak with. Then we will discuss how this exploration has influenced us personally and consider anything to focus on for the remainder of the season. So it's been really good, Will. I, I, I've really been enjoying listening to the interviews you've had and also having interviews with people. And I just want to thank the the guests that we've had um, for sharing their lives with us and um, sharing a lot of really deep and insightful um, reflections on calling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, This has been, this has been such a uh, insightful and, and you said insightful, but insightful and illuminating. That'll be my I word uh, (laughs) uh, opportunity. And yeah, I just love the the variety of voices and perspectives that we've uh, encountered. I, I do think there are some through lines in in some of the feedback we've received uh, that connect back to some of our own initial uh, speculations and propositions about calling and vocation, and then some things that maybe have uh, uh, challenged those positions or, or, or divert from mm. one to the other uh, in each guest. But yeah, I agree. This has been great. A big thanks to the guests so far. Looking forward to having several more on uh, before the season's end. And uh, yeah, definitely excited about where this is taking us and what this is doing, at least for me personally. Uh, I can't speak to um, how it's impacting or affecting our listeners, but if it is impacting or affecting you in, in, a, in, a, in any sort of way, whether positive or negatively, we'd, we would actually love your feedback. So uh, don't shy away from emailing us at uh, foreshadowmagazine dot at gmail dot com mm-hmm. um, and reaching out uh, however yeah. you can because uh, that feedback is, is is really helpful and important and I think we're going to talk about some of that feedback in a moment. Yes, yes, we did receive a question for the first time uh, last week, and um, it's been great to to receive that and. Um, because we want this to, to be a, a growing kind of community and dialogue with our listeners. And, um, and so we will discuss that at first. I wanted to just have a more of a fun question as this is the summertime and the midpoint of our season. It, and the question is, what is um, uh, a sign of the summer for you? What is something this summer that you're enjoying um, where you live? A sign of the summer. Wow. Yeah, that's uh... Uh, well, a sign of the summer in Athens, Georgia, uh, uh, this last week was triple digits with humidity. And so <laughs> uh, the heat has been a big indication that it is, in fact, now summertime. But uh, for me, it's really a change in pace uh, uh, and a change in sort of activity day to day. I go from being a very uh, sort of frenetic student and and TA teaching assistant to a not having those responsibilities all of a sudden. Uh, and though there are some lingering projects to keep in mind or ideas to explore and rounds of applications coming up, all, all that stuff, um, the sudden shift in schedule is 
is both uh, a welcomed experience and a little jarring and, and at some level at this stage in life, you know, I, I feel like I'm more and more, um, even though I'm not a big uh, routine guy or, or, mm. or procedural guy, I was telling someone the other day, I still do think I like some degree of rhythm. So mm. uh, this has been a very improvised jazz solo summer with lots of different trips and travel here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I unfortunately had COVID right after school ended and that was kind of a drag, but made it through. Thanks. I think in part to being, you know, vaccinated and all that. Uh, and so, uh, but yeah, a mix of, for me, it's been a mix of fishing out on the kayak, going down to, uh, Pensacola, Florida, where my wife, uh, works part of the week and, uh, and then taking trips, seeing some family here and there and, uh, yeah, experiencing the heat. How about you, Josh? What's been what's been a sign of the summer? Yeah, well, you mentioned the heat and um, a sign of the summer today. It's been pouring with rain over here in um, England, um, but I, I think besides that, I would mention the strawberries that um, we've just I, started uh, harvesting, and that that is my first my first year of growing strawberries, and I've really been enjoying um, enjoying that and um, giving our son Caleb a little taste of strawberries as well. Cool. Cool. Yeah. It's gotta be fun to see, uh, new experiences for the first time. I mean, I guess uh, for you and for your son in that sense, tasting strawberry. Yeah. And I imagine something about growing something yourself, it just tastes better. I don't know, yeah. I don't know why yeah. or how that's true, but it just seems like that's the case. Yeah. And then just the, the act of picking it from the, from the, um, the stem and, and then eating it right away. You can't, can't get that um, experience buying it at a store. No, no. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. You just live in that pastoral life. Well, not, not quite, but i um, trying to get a little bit more of that way. Nice. Nice. Well, Sarah DePhillips, our, uh, one of our previous guests would be proud to hear it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, um, the question that we, that we received the pa- last week, um, I'll, I'll read it. And, and I think that Will and I, um, we'll kind of give our two cents worth, but um, we are also uh, going to have Jeff and uh, Compton Nelson, who the question was directed to, um, contribute his answer. But the question is um, is from our listener, Sandro, uh, and he says he's writing from Los Angeles. And after a long career in the law, I turned to creative writing. Uh, my work is still at the embryonic stage, and I only have one published short story. I'm also working on a novel, which grew from three short stories I'd written with multiple members of the same family as characters and narrators. So that's an interesting background, especially given Foreshadow's um, uh, creative writing focus. But then his question is is more universal, which is, I was wondering what you think about finding your vocation later in life and how that fits in with God's plans. So, yeah, we really, we thank you, Sandro, for your feedback and kind of sharing about your life with us. Um, uh, and since Will and I are both in our um, early thirties, we don't have much experience in that. Although I guess one thing I'd like to share is just thinking about, um, Moses in in the Bible Mm. and now he was, um, I forget how old he was, but he spent 40 years after he left Egypt. Um, and he was just um, living the pastoral life for 40 years, um, he had he he had a family he was and he looked after the flocks but it was after that point when he was an old man that god called him to 
to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. And so he is an example to me of someone who found his vocation later in life, and he wasn't even looking for it. Um, it was just as he went about his, his daily work, his responsibilities, that something suddenly changed uh, in his life, and he returned to, to his um, land of birth and did what God called him there. Um, so I wonder if there's some things there that um, our listeners might be able to unpack and explore. But do you have any thoughts about Sandra's question, Will? Yeah, a couple of things kind of come to mind. Um, like you said, uh, we're you're generous. We're in our early slash mid thirties, <laughs> and time is ticking. But yeah, you're right. We we definitely don't have that sort of retrospective capability. I think. Uh, I mean, I think both of us in, in a small scale do because we've moved on from previous sort of careers at this point. Um, to now this new phase of life that we're in. But uh, yeah, to speak authoritatively to that uh, from the first person may not be a helpful offering that at least I, or like you said, you could give. However, I do think that there are some terminological things that maybe we could unpack in it uh, and that, you know, it's possible Jeff will too. Um, but I, I come to think of like just, just how we've been talking about the words, vocation, calling, occupation, uh, activity even comes to mind. Um, these things sort of like start, I, they're, they kind of start popping off in my brain when I hear this question because, um, and, and I think we're going to get into this a little bit later in the episode, but when we talk about a vocation, I think sometimes that term just gets used in an umbrella sense or conflated with activity or, or jobs, or this is what I'm doing now, or this is what I'm passionate about. And it can kind of be all of those things. I think that we've started to really start to unpack. It's a, it's a multidimensional word. So it does sort of work for that. So to imagine shifting from one sort of career um, into then this other, this, this new sort of way of using and spending one's time um, may not be a departure from one's vocation at all or or a shift in vocation at all and might be a different realization of that vocation and again i don't know our guest or uh, or our listener personally so i can't speak to that uh either in that sense but i wonder if that's an instance of this and, and again we'll get more into the, some of these terms again i think as we start to continue to map things out and i think yeah. uh um uh, uh I also, in a totally sort of different way of understanding this question and thinking about it, I don't think it's your, your Moses example is great because I don't think I don't think it's ever too late to to try something new or to do a new thing or to shift or to ex experience a sense of passion or quote calling or or find catharsis or any number of things in a in a new uh, activity. And so again, I used some of those words there just again to help create a constellation of vocational understanding. But again, it's, it's, it's multidimensional and, and very, uh, very nuanced. So uh, hopefully that primes the pump for where we go. Yeah. I like how you make the distinction between vocation and career. And I think that's something that I've been learning as I, as I um, have been listening to these conversations and, and having them. And so in Sandro's question, I think he's talking about uh, in some ways leaving a career behind of, of, of being a, a lawyer. Um, 
but then the vocational bit is is something deeper it seems than than a career although it encompass it can encompass a career sure and so i think that that's um that's something worth exploring um in sandra's question and and then in the in the moses example i think it's interesting because his career was as a as a shepherd those 40 years and so in his example um when he was called to to lead the israelites out of egypt that was not a career he wasn't it wasn't part of his livelihood he wasn't paid to do it it was a, something a completely different assignment but it also did involve him leaving his career um uh, but there will be examples of people we've spoken to already and maybe people we will speak to where their um their calling and their career might align as well so but but yeah i think um i think that distinction between a career and vocation is or a calling is is helpful and something that i think we will talk about as we continue this conversation it, and just finally maybe also with this um insofar as our space in this podcast about it but um that that d word comes back to mind too that we teased out in the, i think in the first episode of discernment um and i think discernment is both individually achieved but it's also collectively and communally achieved and the proof's in the pudding for me you know it's like um i don't think you have to be like objectively good at something to be to be quote called to it or for it to be your vocation and objectively good is sort of that's been problematized by other people mm. in our society in this day and age anyways in, in and i think in helpful ways and so uh whether that doesn't need to necessarily be a consideration but i think like the the experience of fulfillment that one receives from participating in any given activity and the ways in which that activity is somehow fulfilling or enriching to the lives of others, I think is another example of, um, you know, you might be, you might be barking up the right tree when you, when you do that. And, and it's not like wandering blindly trying to divine what tree to bark up. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, should I be a creative writer or should I ride unicycles? You know what I mean? That's not, that's not the, that's not the the discernment process insofar as, yeah, pursue these things. You know, I think anything you do with intentionality and integrity is going to, is going to do something for you, if, if not for other people as well. Yeah. And that resonates with some things that our, our, our guests have mentioned as well. So I think of our Alina, who said that she finds a deep fulfillment with writing. Right. And that as a, one of the ways that she's realized that that's her calling. Uh, and then Jeff Compton Nelson, who is saying that, um, that it, it, kind of the opposite of fulfillment, if you feel that just something doesn't sit right in your, in your gut or yeah. in, in your body, that might be a clue that you're not, you maybe it's not, might not be the right thing for you right. to be doing. Right. Um, and, and then also you mentioned, um, you may not necessarily need to be good at something in order to be called to it. Um, and going back to the Moses example, Moses had a, had a speech impediment and yet God, God called him to, to, to use his voice to, to speak against Pharaoh. Um, and so that's kind of a classic example of, of right. how sometimes people might be called to do things they're not always comfortable or get, maybe even gifted at doing. So thank you, Sandra, for that question. And we will continue to revisit that question um, with our guests. And, and hopefully, I look forward to hearing Jeff's response as well to that question. Indeed. And here is Jeff's response. 
there are a few few dimensions to this that come to mind. Um, so first is at Duke Divinity School, we have, um, I think I said in the episode, one of the youngest seminary populations in the country, which is not to say that we also don't have a number of students who are returning to seminary for sort of second career. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they sent spent time in in healthcare, in law, in um, marketing communications, in uh, civil sort of public service. So all different sorts of of roles that, as um, as they're looking at what they've done, as they are looking at where they are right now, there is this sort of call um, that has like returned them to to seminary. Sometimes for, for some of them, um, it is something that, that has been on their mind and on their heart for quite some time that they've put aside or downplayed or tried to, tried to run from. Sometimes um, it just hasn't been, it hasn't been the right time um, to, to kind of transition to, to a second career. Um, I, there's a, the old, the, the, the former Dean of Duke Chapel, um, this was at a, a program where I can help organize I mean, 12 years, 12 years ago at this point, just about a decade ago, uh, we asked about vocation. He said, you know, the God, the God we worship is one that our, uh, our vocation is singular in the sense of, um, you know, perhaps though you've turned to creative writing, there's something about something about that, something about the the act, or perhaps it's the particular stories that you're telling that have um, that have been with you, and that for in some way, perhaps work or align with um, all the different parts of of your life. Yeah. So without knowing many details, I think about long career in law. You know, I think about creative thinking, um, critical thinking, I think about writing and reading and research. And there's something about the sort of constellations of skills or um, features that are true to who you are, to your interests, to your, to your formation, that um, perhaps the law that, that will both show up in, in the work of law and also the work of creative writing. Maybe it's a particular vision for, um, for you know, ways to go about healing and wholeness, or about uh, reconciling families with one another, or about justice, or about um, any number of things. I do think too, you know, it, it could be the case <clears throat> recognizing that our our vocations and our identities as um, creatures made in the image of God. You know, there's probably no single job, no single career that captures the um, that captures the the nuance and complexity of what it means to be to be you, to be a person in your community. Um, and then it, it may be the case that law for a long time met sort of many of those needs. It um, it felt like the right the right thing at the right time, and as as you've grown older, as you've had a longer sort of more established career in law, 
sort of recognition or dawning, you know, that this movie doesn't capture like all of who I am or all, all I have um, to offer, to offer the world. Um, I, I, you know, I'm curious about, about the language too of, you know, finding your vocation later in life, um, whether you've seen or whether you would think about your work in the law as also a dimension to your vocation or whether it, it seems separate. Um, I was in a um, Oxford Leadership Academy, which is a sort of international leadership um, training workshop. It was a two-day workshop um, during the pandemic with folks all over the world. Um, I was among among on the younger side, but a lot of people who were had established careers in business or healthcare who were um, as they look toward their their second half or um, sunset years, depending on where they were, wanting to um, wanting to shift away from things that felt um, just coming at it with different questions. So thinking like, what you know, what is their deep why? Like, what is their deep passion? What is their deep hope? Um, you know, often. For, for folks who are turning toward different vocations in their second second half or, or in later after established careers, it's just like a different a different drive to the questions you're asking and what does it look like to kind of shed away the layers of things that are unnecessary or feel less necessary and kind of get down to basics or get down to, um, to some fundamental questions. So without knowing the specifics of you know, what, even like what kind of law you practice or where, or what, what was it about the career in law that um, you found most fulfilling um, and same with the kind of turn to creative writing. Um, you know, we, we need law as a way to, to change lives and to change communities. And also, I mean, storytelling is a way to do that too. Um, I had a professor who said, we need more storytellers and storytellers are, are the most important, most powerful, not most important, but some of the most powerful people in the world because they shape our realities. Um, and it's true of fiction, nonfiction, everything in between. I thank you for your question. Now we'd like to kind of revisit our model um, that we started off with, and um, and I noticed Will that it's really helpful when you begin your episodes, you you give a caveat that um, we this is not something that we can um, you know comprehensively define vocation and calling, and right. that's helpful because um, that kind of makes it more of a uh, this project is more doable for us when we don't set set such a high standard. Um, but but it is it is we are trying to kind of um, put 
some definition. And so in our model, what we have developed so far is kind of three, um, three characteristics or three dimensions of vocation. And um, that might not even be the best word, but um, the first one is that it's, there's a universal element to it. Um, mm. that, and I think that to me, that's the clearest of the three, that um, we are all called to, to do something and um, to follow Jesus, to, to be more like him, to love our, our neighbor as ourselves, to be more fully alive as humans, um, all examples of that. Um, and then the second dimension is um, the very personal, the personal dimension, um, and the, the the gifts that we have, our personalities, how that all that plays into how we follow that universal calling. And then the third dimension is um, callings that are often recognized by by people to be kind of established callings, which are like. To be a teacher, to be a teacher, and and echoing Jeff Compton Nelson's um, statement that that doesn't necessarily mean being a teacher as your job, but in a deeper sense, having this desire, this gift to teach people something, yeah. Um, as one example, or ordained ministry as another example, or marriage, or being a monk or nun as other examples. Um, these are kind of established uh, ways that people live out their vocations, and so. Those are three. And, um, and I wanted to mention this, and I haven't mentioned this to you, Will, yet, yet but I, I, as a, I was thinking about this author named Madeline Lengel, mm. and in her book, A Wrinkle in Time, have you read A Wrinkle in Time? It's a children's book that she wrote. Yeah, I'm familiar with it, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, well, one of the things that's there, she, she mentions vocation, and I thought, I, I wondered how it fit with our model, if it does. And what she says is that she see well, it, one of the characters in the book sees uh, their sees calling as like um the the form of poetry which is called a sonnet yeah. and a sonnet has 14 lines a certain rhythm scheme rhythmic scheme rhyme scheme and uh, he ex he understands it as um we're all supposed to be like sonnets so we have this form but then the way we choose the individual words of that sonnet are um that's up to us that um, that's our own choice and so everyone's sonnet it is going to look differently but um but it'll all have a same form and so i was trying to think about that in terms of our model if if that makes sense if i've explained it well enough and maybe the sonnet structure is maybe the universal calling that we're all called to have this certain form um yeah. the way that our lives will look um but on, but at the same time, there's a such a random, uh, there's such a diversity to it that no sonnet will look the same because everyone is going to be writing their sonnet in their own unique way, and so that's more of the second dimension of calling. Mm. Um, is that helpful? Do you, do you find that to be helpful or fitting in with the, the model? Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, I know early church fathers were concerned about modalism when trying to explain the Trinity, you know what I mean? To try to sort of like figure out how this things and the functions of the Trinity and then how, you know, it's shape and dimension. And I think anything that we try to like, any model has some degree of like insufficiency or, 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 or struggles, but I think yeah. of, of models that I've considered or heard, that's definitely, I think it's definitely a good one. I, um, uh, 
something in me, something in me uh, responds to sort of like uh, a set form. Uh, my 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 jazzy personality, yes. I guess. And yet at the same time, I do think that there are plenty of, you know, instance of that. Um, and the fact, like you said, you have a lot of range of opportunity and option in the midst of that form with which to do things. Um, uh, you know what? That makes me think. That articulate. So yeah, I, I, yeah, so. I don't, I don't totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it is a good, I do think it is a good model. Um, and, <laughs> and I, I don't, I can't even quite articulate why I'm resistant to the forum thing. But. No, I actually felt the same thing. And so maybe, um, that maybe as I'm thinking out loud, maybe the sonnet form is more applicable to the third dimension, uh, mm. such as ordained ministry or, um, cause those are actual forms. Yes. So maybe, so maybe, yes. uh, and then the way people live out those forms though, is going to be unique, but maybe what we're all called to be is a poem. Yeah, and that's good. What, and that's the universal, um, some kind of, um, some kind of ordered, um, well, I don't know if that's the best cosmos out of chaos, like, uh, something with meaning, something with beauty, which a poem usually is. Yeah. But the different forms that that takes will be different. And the ways that we uh, write that, the words that we use to express that poem will also be different. So so maybe the, the first dimension of universality is the fact that we're all called to be poems. The second dimension is are the individual words we use to write those poems. And then the third dimension is the form that we use to write th- that the poem becomes print that, maybe that makes yeah print print the t-shirt we're <laughs> ready we're ready to go to press i think we are poems i like it i'll wear that shirt. uh that's nice. that's beautiful man i think that's i think yeah uh and that's incredible that happens sort of in this moment as well um but i think that's that's pretty that's pretty good that's pretty solid or that's pretty amorphous if that's <laughs> yes, the positive yes. thing solid is not what we want right so <laughs> maybe it's more fluid yeah fluid. it's more fluid yeah we yeah fluid would be good um yeah we're we're with the times um yeah no i th- th- that that definitely resonates and that how you've just articulated that was beautiful i don't think i can add anything to that that is of any substance or or or, or change what i would uh posit in the midst of this sort of reflection is something that struck me in the mapping of all these things and and our uh and mapping is a good word too right because mapping I'm looking at the map behind you and I commented on it before we started recording, yes. but a map is not actually the thing itself. You know what I mean? It's, mm. a, rep- it's a representation of the thing. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's not, it, it's not actually that complete. A lot of the time it's not depending on what kind of map you're looking at. It's not very detailed. Uh, we think, Oh, look at all the intricate details. I can see, you know, where that's a desert or those are some mountains there. Some mountains have, you know, like globes have the, uh, indentations or, or, you know, mm-hmm. mounds. Yeah. So you, it's to, to like sort of approximate these things, but that's all it is. It's a map is an approximation. And so we are mapping these, these terms and, and understanding these things. I think what we're doing and a map is a better sort of, I guess, if we're talking about metaphors for things, a map is mm-hmm. a better metaphor for our activity. Yeah. Understanding calling vocation, et cetera. What I was going to say uh, in, in lieu of that, in this, this project and what, and the kind of map that you've just built, we are poems, et cetera, sonnet form, incredible. Um, something I've kind of started to realize too, in, in, in hearing people articulate stuff is um, that this, this notion of, of God's activity or, 
or function and, and participation in, in calling or initiation of calling, um, I think is, is, is revealed. We talked about this a little bit yesterday is revealed in, in a, as much as it is perceived on the front end uh, as, as it is on the back end, and if not more so on the back end. And by that, I mean that um, uh, people are evidently called or evidently have vocation, uh, a product of what it is they're doing. And, and the, the experience and revelation of God's sort of call is manifest through that work, through that, through that endeavor, through that activity, whatever it might be. And uh, I think something that you'll allude to in a bit, uh, it has something, something to do with individuals' character, you know, and something to do with who are they, who they are becoming in their context, in themselves, and uh, in and for the world that, that maybe speaks more to what vocation and calling is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then finds its way and then, and then understand, and then, then we can map it, you know what I mean? Understanding and make sense of our map in lieu of that universal sort of giftedness, personal stuff, and then, mm. and then functional uh, uh, outlets and stuff and, and whatnot. Uh, so I, yeah, I really, that's really started to, to, to hit me. And so again, if that sounded confusing or convoluted to the listener, it also sounded that way to me as I said it. So I will try to quickly reiterate and summarize that. Okay. I think that God's uh, God's activity in calling is maybe more evident at the back end of, of what's happened uh, because individuals, whether or not they're aware of that thing or not, um, it's not so much that we slapped the God endorsed this label onto something at the back end, but we slapped the God endorsed this label <laughs> on the back end because, because like Jeff said, uh, part of being called is being, you know, being. And so as that then specifically manifests and trickles into things, I think we see, uh, we experience some freedom in that, in, in, in that type of vocation. Uh, and we experience uh, uh, greater, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I think uh, not just fulfillment, but we maybe appreciation or, or uh, sanctification, uh, mm. God's, uh, God's presence with us in, in, this, in the midst of this. Uh, or- yeah, let me make sure I understand what you mean, because um, I think that's quite powerful what you're saying. But I want to make sure I understand. It's are you are, are you one of one of the things? Um, well, that I think about is how the people that we've been speaking to, they're sharing their lives with us, and um, and and in a way, and when we talk about maps, that's not actually the map. That's the actual landscape itself. That when when we when we Talk, listen to their lives. We're actually walking through the, the the forest or through the mountains. We're not just thinking about it in the abstract, like a map, but we're journeying with them in kind of the thick of it. And, and but then, um, and, and from from that, we can then build a a picture of a map. But um, but it sounded like you were saying that um, it's it's only when we look back on our lives, at least what I thought you were saying. When we look back on our lives, then we can recognize that God has been with us. God has been um, guiding us, calling us. Um, is that what you're saying, or is, did I misunderstand? 
Um, I think it can happen in the present as well. In the present, okay. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah. The I think retrospect, like we sort of alluded to earlier, is also a, a component of that. But um, I think you, I think you can presently, and maybe even sort of pr- predictively, if if such a thing is possible. Um, not not possible, but if such, if, if you would want to endeavor to do that, um, understand that like what you're vocation i guess maybe you know what now that i've said all that gobbledygook um vocation is is a state of mind i think you know in some ways hmm. and 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 calling is 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 the appre- the apprehension of of an awareness of of being god's people in the world you know, okay, and, I think and, that's a bit clearer. I understand more. Yeah, like going going to the poetry uh, metaphor, yeah. would it be kind of like you're saying, um, vocation is realizing that in every moment we're in, we can contribute to writing that poem. Correct. Is that what you're saying? Okay, yeah, exactly. I understand now. So yeah. so any no matter what we're doing, um, we can potentially and and uh, we can be living into our vocation, even if we're. Um, we're faced with a crossroads and we make a choice that we think maybe, ah, that maybe I made the wrong choice. Um, and, but then a mile down the line, um, it's not too late to be living into your vocation because everywhere you are, you have the opportunity to be creating cosmos out of chaos. Yeah. Is that okay? I I think that's absolutely true. I, I think I've even mentioned it briefly before, but the, the story of, and the, the writings of the, I think, 16th century, 17th century monk, yes. Brother Lawrence, um, yeah. come to mind. He's the, the the former foot soldier who becomes monk and then cook kitchen. You know, he works mm-hmm. in the kitchen and, and this really like profound, deep sense of uh, vocation that he articulates uh, doing something quite mundane and repetitive and uh, thankless in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh that that's a frame of mind that he displays. You know, it's an apprehension of God's activity as he sees it or understands it in his midst. I mean, the the, the yes. writings are called the practice of the presence of God, right? So, yes. um, mm-hmm. it's this it's it's that awakening to uh, opportunity to participate mm. in God's work. As again, one might understand that that yes. that codifies something as vocation. Where it's the it's another you know sort of cinematic parallel might be that gets used in Christian stuff all the time I guess is but is the Matrix you know what I mean it's kind of this awakening to another way of being and doing that uh, is 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 an extension and maybe the more proper or the more fulfilling extension of your humanity versus sort mm-hmm. of like. Uh, not being wakeful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The opposite. I, I don't know quite how to put that into words at this point, but as we're sort of riffing, but uh, yeah, that that's uh, that's something that I think has really struck me uh, and and been maybe more. Um, again, I, I'm hesitant to use words like cemented or solidified in my mind, <laughs> but but yeah, it's yeah. become more. That's become much more of like a, a through line concept that I think is is true that I've perceived uh through through our investigative efforts this season (laughs) yes and that reminds me of um 
something that Jarrell said a few episodes back, which was how um, so often, I think he was giving the example of Dan Nelson's, um, one of his lectures, I think he was saying that we often think about, you know, what is our vocation? And we spend so much energy and time trying to to find that thing, some kind of grand um, um, role that we might be in, uh, um, whether like it might be a missionary or or something other grand thing. Um, but really, um, um, that can take it, that can distract us. That can be like um, chasing the matrix, chasing this um, dream world uh, from the actual life that we are living now, yes. which is the, the real world and, um, and what God is doing in our lives now and, um, and, and accept and accepting, embracing that as a gift and, and seeing that, um, that we can be living into our calling now, even, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, that just, that's, yes, I, I hear what you're saying. It's interesting that there are, that, that, that's not a uniquely, that the, the striving toward that way of being and, and experiencing the world is, is not even uniquely a Christian thing. And in fact, Christians, in my experience, sometimes, are the most distracted from 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 that opportunity, though though the goal is that thing, because of sort of whatever inherited traditions and or systems and stuff that we kind of participate in. Uh, but you you need look no further, not even to a religious tradition, but just like simple like sort of psychologically rooted mindfulness practices that that encourage this behavior. That that have mindfulness practices are a lot like you know what the ascetic desert mothers and fathers would have been doing as well, this sort of practice of presence and, you know, uh, not just contentment, but, but really being in your body, being where you are and then, and then, and listening where you are, all, all these, all these things that we sort of, I think resist. It reminds me of our, uh, of, of both, um, the interview with Sarah to Phillips, uh, and her, her work, how that particular kind of work, uh, in this case, um, you know, gardening, farming, et cetera, really requires that kind of presence uh, and, and being there mm -hmm. at the time. You know, the interview with your brother, you know, working with students and having mm -hmm. been in that role and had the bodily thing that Jeff talked about where I was like, oh, my gosh, this is not the thing for me. And I was an elementary school music <laughs> okay. teacher. Interesting. Uh, but, I did not know that. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, I loved the students, loved, you know, the uh, getting to work with kids, but knowing that that job, that occupation was for me, but hearing your brother talk about it, it requires a kind of presence and attentiveness that, that is, that's an unplugging from some things, or at least some ways of thinking and being, and, and a, and a very much matter of factly, either you could say a plugging in or just a being, uh, where you are that, uh, so that you can be most, uh, faithful to not, not, uh, not just the people around you, but yourself, you know, and have the most uh, uh, integrated and integral sort of experience of of life and mm -hmm. and occupation and job and and then ultimately again it, the, the the veil parts and you're like ah vocation this is it right which is why it ends up looking like some people's jobs you know or, or manifesting itself in people's actual work uh, and why in other instances it doesn't have to. Yeah, and that's something that I I guess it would be good to talk about next. It, it, something that I've been thinking about is this relationship between 
calling and and a career. Yeah. Um, because I think the striving that we mentioned. Um, and first of all, I want to say I don't think it's wrong at all to strive in itself. Totally. Um, we're we're taught to strive for the kingdom of God, strive to um, to pursue um, uh, mercy and justice and kindness and those things. But there's also a sense, and I've noticed this in myself, of striving for um, more, uh, I guess, achievements, uh, per- personal achievements. And um, and I was reading something recently that um, it was about. Uh, it's 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 a there's a book called The Road to Character by um, a political commentator David Brooks and I haven't read the book but I was reading someone else's writing about it and he says that there are two virtues that um, that we can understand uh, through which we can understand what we strive for at least as I understand it resume virtues or CV virtues and eulogy virtues mm. and resume virtues are um, um, those that we often spend much of our lives, um, chasing down, um, success and, um, accomplishments that look good on a resume, things that people, um, notice about us and make us uh, useful and, and not just useful, but, uh, give us a sense of status. And then there's the re- eulogy virtues, which are those things that are not so prioritized, but, um, perhaps are more important, um, especially as Christians, which are, um, those things that people will remember us for when we're when we leave this life, um, mm. when we when we die, uh, how we loved the people in our lives, how we served them, um, and that that really just helped me because it helped to identify in me um, how often I prioritize. Um, I don't know the right word for. It. I like the term re- resume virtues. How often I prioritize that? How often I strive for that? Mm. Um, how often I'm not content with with the job that I have, um, for, for, uh, for various reasons, how often, um, there's another phrase that you can either live to work or work to live. And mm. so how often I live for work, um, as if work is my, my, um, my ultimate purpose rather than seeing it as a tool that provides for my needs and serves other people, but not, it's, is not my ultimate purpose that, but that God is serving. God is my ultimate aim should be my ultimate aim. Um, so that kind of, that's just something I've been recognizing. And I think it's helpful to make that distinction, as you have been mentioning, between calling and career. That's, um, at least for me, um, in my mind, calling has usually been associated with a career. And when I thought about my calling, what am I called to do? It's usually been thinking, what, am I, what do I think I should be doing for my paid work? But I'm, I'm realizing that uh, what we are called to do um, who we are called to be, going back to the poem metaphor, our calling to be poems, um, that can and often does involve our work. Um, and it's it, work is a good thing. Getting our careers, our jobs are, are good. But um, we are called for more than that. And our calling encompasses so much more than that. And we might be called to do something. Um, and that may not mean that we will be paid to do that. Um, and and in my, I guess, giving a personal example, like some of the, something I'm volunteering to do um, in my community um, or thinking about volunteering, that can be a response to a calling to love my neighbor, but I will not get paid to do it, but mm-hmm. I, I, I might still be called to do it in that way. Um, and so I just hope that our maybe other listeners might be able to relate to that, 
And, and I hope that these conversations and this is what we're talking about right now can help um, as, as we think about calling that, um, uh, that, as, that, uh, that in following our calling, it's, um, our calling is to put God first and, and not a sense of um, the, the next job that we want or um, a, a really good resume that'll get us an interview. Um, but those things can still be very tempting. So, uh, and, it, and I find it to be a, a battle that, um, that I face. So, so yeah. Um, and another word you mentioned recently was contentment. Yeah. And I think that's something that I'm, I'm really, uh, I, I think I'm, I, I'm, I'm striving for is contentment and, and, um, and, and a thankfulness for the life that I have and the circumstances that I have. Um, uh, and, and trusting that God has been with me, um, even if uh, even if I may not have chosen um, certain things about my the job that I have or, or things like that, that God has has been with me and um, and and find and being thankful for that and thankful for the the many gifts I do have, which can often be overshadowed by um, by by striving after. Um, what I think I need, which I, I don't actually need. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and like you said, like you said too, desiring things is fine. The striving for stuff is fine. I think it's sort of finding, putting those things in their rightful place. That yes. You sort of allude to, even yes. when we say something like putting God first, that can become another item on the list. You know what I mean? That then we'd go through all these strange behaviors and activities that we've either inherited or adopted somehow that that just become more mind numbing or more uh, deflating and or and or uh, ego building or whatever things that are actually detriments to that. So I think even when when the listener or when we think about putting God first, we really need to like think about when we say putting God first. What do we understand about? And this is too much of a can of worms for us to explore here and now. But think about what do you mean when you say. God first. Who is God? What does God want? What does, uh, where is God? Where is God active? How is God, act? you know, and then you start to see that there's, that's not like a, a one directional sort of, I hope maybe, I mean, in my experience, I hope, and I, this is emerging and developing for me, but like that, that God's presence is sort of, you know, is one too complicated for me to fully grasp and understand, but in as much as I can, it's not, it's not me striving to please some distant uh, divinity. You know what I mean? It's understanding that divinity's interface in my own life and in, in the world of which I'm a part, which means that it, that putting God first sometimes means putting other things that God inhabits first. And that's can get again, slippery slope. And no, I understand. Of, yeah. All sorts I understand of conversations. <laughs> yeah. There, there are the people who are like, are, are, you, are you a pantheist? Uh, <laughs> or any number of things. Uh, we yeah. Happy to chat or again, encourage listener questions or feedback. We can clarify, but that's just to say that when we say things like that, we're, we're not, I know Josh and I are not saying those things flippantly because they can sound like kind of trope Christian lines. You know what I mean? Like, Put God first. <laughs> That's the answer. Jesus is always the answer, and and it's not. It's our our responses are certainly more uh, nuanced than than that. That means something to us when we say things like this, but 
and it may not mean the same thing to you, which is fine. Uh, but understand that uh, uh, there's there's something behind that, and it's it's a it's a round, it's a much more multi-dimensional thing in and of itself. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for that because I, I do I do understand that things can be misinterpreted, and um, and maybe even you and I might answer that question of what does it mean to put God first differently. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and that's I think that's it goes it, going back to the poem metaphor. Um, maybe how I would answer it would be um, putting God first would be, it would include recognizing that our life is a poem uh, mm. and that life is uh, given to us by God. And, and, and so offering that poem back to God, um, but then that, what, what does that mean? And I guess I would simply, simply suggest that um in the very first um, post that I did on foreshadow for this season that introduced the, the magazine side of things, mm-hmm. um, I mentioned um, the story of Jonah mm-hmm. and, and how, um, how, as I understand Jonah, the story of Jonah is it's at the heart is, is it's a story about worship. Um, and Jonah, when he's, when he's on the ship um, uh, and there's a storm the, the, the sailors ask him, who are you? And what, where are you, where are you from? What's your occupation? And he responds by saying, I worship the Lord, the Lord. Mm. And I, I, th- I found that to be an interesting um, answer, but that um, he answers by saying that his, at his core, he is oriented towards, towards his God. And then in, when he's swallowed by the whale, uh, by the fish, actually. Uh, and I know in your song, you, I, I appreciate the song that we posted last year, yeah. which you referenced Jonah. I appreciate that you, that you recognize that the, the word in Hebrew is, was a great fish. And oftentimes people say it's a whale, but, and, and um, technically it's fish. Uh, so, but, so not whale, but fish. Um, <laughs> when he's in the great fish, he then worships the Lord by, by singing or praying the Psalms. And, um, and so what I, ref- what I took from that was um, that, that um, Jonah shows us that at our core, we are called to um, be priests, mm. be people that offer, that receive the gifts that God gives us and offer them back to God in worship. And, um, and that also includes the way that we create this, the way that we order our lives, the way that we um, the way that we, uh, order our communities, things that we have responsibility over, mm-hmm. um, the way that we serve and love our neighbors, all of that, I think, um, we are called to, to do as acts of worship to God that, and, and in so doing, we, we give back to God, all we have received as a gift to God. And so that might be, um, there's a lot more to explain and yeah, you're right. We can't really say that in this episode, but I guess just so that, I, so that, yeah. Cause I, I understand that saying putting God first, um, there are so? yeah. <laughs> negative, uh, negative, uh, interpretations of that. So sure. that's just, yeah. We've already mentioned some um, people that we've had conversations with, but um, I wonder if we could just talk about the people we haven't mentioned and, and things that we gleaned from them uh, in, in this past season. Um, so, for instance, we begin. You began with uh, um, 
Julius. Yeah. So um, I guess I wanted to mention about that, that first of all, we uh, Julius was the one that introduced the, the, the quote that we've been using several times. Vocation is where um, our deep gladness meets the world's deep need. And that's been really helpful. One of the helpful through lines yeah. um, throughout the season. Definitely. Um, and, and something that I've thought about too, is that before I, I would think about that quote in terms of career as well, going back to what I said earlier, that, that vocation, that thinking about, okay, well, this will help me find the career that I'm made to do is by thinking about where, what makes me deeply glad and where is the world's deepest need. And if I combine those two, I should find my ideal career. But um, in the context of what I've been learning, that's not necessarily the case. I think we can use that as a, as a tool to discover our deeper calling. And so that might be the, what we do for a living, uh, for our jobs, but not necessarily. And so that's, that's been, uh, been helpful to think about. Definitely. Um, and yeah, w- was there anything that you wanted to share about Julius your conversation with him. Another, well, I guess another thing that I, I thought about, I, I really liked how you and he were kind of using his um, guitar playing mm. as a, kind of a metaphor for vocation because of how he's needed mentors, how he's had to learn from um, other guitar players. Mm-hmm. And in the same way um, in our spiritual life, as we think about following um, God, as we think about our calling, um, we need mentors as well to help us to discern to help us to um, to figure things out, yeah. um, and then also um, just yeah. So I, I really appreciated that aspect of your conversation with him too. Yeah. No. Thanks. Yeah. And I, I think you hit it all kind of on the head. I think that was definitely a good way to start and a good place uh, to start. So yeah. Yeah. And then we, when then we mentioned Alina briefly, and just um, I think what what I gained from that conversation, one key thing was the how god gives us gifts that Mm. to use um and mentioned the parable of the talents as well um uh, where um someone is entrusted with gifts to use and is expected to use them and so i think that's that's helpful um in terms of vocation where in maybe discerning like what are we what what are we gifted in doing and of course as you mentioned earlier that doesn't necessarily mean that um we're called to do um, like if we're gifted with something that we're called to do that, or if we're not gifted in something, we're not called to do that, but it can still be helpful um, in, in crafting this poem that we're writing is using the gifts and the strengths we have to do that. And um, kind of playing to our strengths as we seek to craft this poem. That, that um, uh, biblical example you give too, I've heard a very interesting uh, read of that before i'm not sure if you're familiar with it but another sort of hermeneutical take on uh on uh yes i think i know what you're saying on this passage but the 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 concept of the talent and and this is this is interesting because i think it still applies and and it's not necessarily how it unfolded or or was came out in alina's episode but the idea that the uh the person who provided the talents was a wicked and cruel master and the two of the servants went and exploited the uh, the uh, what they were given and and turned it around into into some sort of greater profit, money begetting money. Uh, where uh, the wise 
uh, servant buried this dirty money to begin with in the ground in, uh, in, in loincloth, basically, right? Undergarments where it belonged, uh, demonstrating a, 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 uh, uh, a burial of, of certain kinds of, 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 uh, a forsaking of, of, of some kinds of offerings or talents or, or things that, uh, ways to get ahead in, in life. Uh, that reading is a very different reading of, of, you know, yes. uh, of the parable. And I, I think it's, it's, it's no less a, po- a plausible or possible reading. It's not the conventional reading, but I think it does come back and, uh, and apply to us here too, that if, uh, if we were to read that passage this way, and again, it doesn't necessarily translate to what um, Alina's doing, but it does remind me of, uh, oh, I guess it did a little bit, because I think she talked about some degree of kind of having to pivot and and uh, not doing exactly what maybe she thought of doing initially. But for in the case of Sarah, uh, a couple episodes back, I know that it wasn't because she had been given some nefarious opportunity that she rejected and buried in the ground, but that delay uh, or putting a talent away sometimes and then seeing it grow into something else or seeing or, or taking on something totally different, I think does happen to people, you know, in the discernment mm-hmm. process. And sometimes the discernment is knowing uh, is knowing again, what to, what to, to leverage or exploit uh, that you have the gifts that you do have or possess or are given and what's what's appropriate to move forward with for again you're not only your own sake but for the sake of the world um sometimes i think we get caught up doing others um not just doing others bidding but like being the uh being the brokers of other people's sort of like sense of vocation and stuff and we carry that and then we we help them along and that can be a good service and produce more for them with them but at the same time, it, it, uh, we we don't ever become who we are fully, mm. uh, and we might need, we might need to reject some of those things. I think sometimes, and that can be that can be difficult, especially if part of your vocation is, is as a partner. You know what I mean, husband, wife, etc., uh, or a you know a son, uh, a father. Um, sometimes you might not be able to carry someone else's talents. Uh, or someone might give you talents that are no good and you need to bury. <laughs> hmm. That's that, you. Met, you raise a lot of interesting points um, there, and I think um, it goes to. Uh, so I, so I think if I understand you, um, we, uh, it's you're talking kind of about relationships that can be go, going sour or abusive relationships where there's a power dynamic that is abusive um, with regard to the interpretation that, that the master was, um, was not a good master to follow. And so, um, so the, the, the actu- actually the servant that buried his talent was doing the right thing because of the, the master had been abusing their power. And I've heard that interpretation. Um, for, I first wanna briefly say, I, I actually, I, I disagree with that interpretation of that passage. Yeah. Um, I, I, because I, I, I think I think from my reading of it, Jesus is using a an imperfect person to illustrate something that um, that is. I think his point is that we should use what God has given us, but he uses an imperfect person to illustrate the master. And he, in other parables, he also uses like the unjust judge and the widow that knocks on his door repeatedly, 
um, as a as a uh, um, as a lesson for prayer. Uh, not to say that God is unjust, but in the story, for some reason, Jesus uses a kind of a flawed, wicked character. But I still think the point you're mentioning is is a good point, though. That who are we serving? If we're serving someone who is a, is um, has does not have our best interests in heart, if we're serving someone that is um, is harming us, um, that is not uh, preferable or good. Um, whereas if we are serving God, or um, in a case of a health, like a you mentioned marriage, like um, so, I guess that would be lower down on the priority list than God. Um, so, sorry, I have to kind of parenthetically say, um, in my like the hierarchy that I'm saying is serving God first, and then serving the people that are in our lives, um, whether that's our spouses or our families, our loved ones, and then the third would be our communities. Kind of that's the priority list I, that I'm going with. But oh, now, close parentheses. Um, Basically, I, I've kind of lost my thread, except I think what you're saying is, who are we serving? Yeah. And if we're serving um, people that, if we have the priorities wrong, or if we're serving people that uh, are harming us, um, that's not a good thing. It's not a healthy thing. We should be, um, we should be, be, be more fully alive as people. We should be living into that poem that we're called to be. And um and so, well, and to extract so, yeah. ourselves from exploitative systems, whatever they might be. Okay. You know I mean, yes. Like, do we get caught up in those things? And that that comes back to the matrix thing. It gets comes back to all the stuff right. you said previously. That's kind yeah. of that's kind of the, I think the cautionary tale I pick up in that particular reading of that passage. Yeah. Um, and like you know, all parables, you know, parables are necessarily multi-referential, right? Or uh, they they can't be narrowed down to a, a way. Um, so yeah, I, I find that, I find that helpful, you know what I mean? And liberating. Cause again, there are times where it's helpful to see it one way. And there are times when it might be helpful to hear another, uh, another reading, uh, in this case, mm. as it points to some sense of, again, uh, vocational formation for us. Mm. Yeah. But, but again, I, I like what you're saying though, at the heart of what you're saying, because it goes back to what we were saying too, about how often, it's easy for us to strive for the wrong things, like strive for our ego or strive for, um, you know, the status. Uh, and that can be a master, uh, uh, um, an abusive master and um, striving for that um, rather than the life-giving Lord, um, the, the poem that we're called to become. Yeah. Yeah. I like so it. that's, that's helpful. And then there's um, the episode with Ryan mm-hmm. um, and, and what I liked about that kind of, echoing what we were just talking about a little bit is how he's juggling um, and prioritizing different callings that he has. Um, he, he mentioned that his family comes first for him uh, mm-hmm. and then his job at the lab, but that's still a very important part in his music, his worship leading as well, a, a bit lower as well than, but he still tries to kind of wear different hats at different times and, and, and do the best he can in each of those um, vocations. So I thought that was, that was a helpful discussion about the different callings one can have. Right. No. And I thought I, and what I, what I think part of what he does in that for me, at least again, to then use, to use the same parenthetical uh, setup that you just <laughs> did is that in, it, 
you you parenthetically listed sort of like and i i don't want to claim to fully understand how you understand that hierarchy that you listed or how you experience that hierarchy but mm -hmm. for me when i hear ryan talk about that balancing or that juggling it reveals something very interesting about the flattening of that hierarchy and it, this comes back to something i sort of alluded to but perhaps uh confusingly earlier in that god sort of serving god or honoring god is is practically achieved at all of those levels mm -hmm. simultaneously and with and with almost no distinction because otherwise when we talk about prior otherwise if i imagine a hierarchy like i would have inherited prioritizing god would have meant attending a church service and doing certain liturgical behaviors uh set apart from everything else i was doing uniquely to that moment and that was the pinnacle of honoring god uh not showing up and helping a friend in need or anybody in need, or mm. and yet jesus talks about you know when you yes. see fill in the blank you see that's that's where i am i i i'm leaning into right. that leaning into that sort right. of idea i i understand this this i still see i understand this hierarchy because we we, we live in a linear timeline <laughs> and we can only be so many places at once and interact <laughs> with so many people so it's like i can't and in ryan's case he he, he clearly articulated that he could not, he can't be in all these places at the same time. And they they make demands. And yet he has found this way. And I thought that was so helpful to me. And I think hopefully to the listener of sort of like being present in all of those spaces somehow and seeing their value in the realization of his vocation. They're all, that hierarchy is flattened. And it's not because mm -hmm. he thinks, you know, complex carbohydrates are more important than his children, uh, you know, or, 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 right. You know, his wife it comes after a guitar solo. It's not that at all. There's there isn't a competition in that in that hierarchy. Um, God is honored at least fundamentally all the time when he participates in that. And then how those individual things play out and are honored or experience that honor or that devotion mm -hmm. or affection is is on that individual linear sort of experience because that then they have. Uh, temporal and experiential skin in the game. Uh, yes, yes. Right, That's right. helpful as well, because um, I think I haven't really actually reflected on the hierarchy either. But as I'm as you're mentioning that first with with Ryan, I think, yes, it is helpful because he kind of shows that it's um, it's atemporal in a way. It's the hierarchy isn't something that um, exists in time. I think it's more something that that we bring to whatever we do. So right. Um, so um, so if, um, so yeah, as you mentioned, loving a friend, serving a friend, you are in, you can inwardly be serving God through serving your friend. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's not a matter of something you can see from, from the external point of view of how you're spending your time. It's really something that you can only see in someone's heart. If you had the eyes, none of us really have that, but to see, uh, who, like, who are they are ultimately serving? Who do they, um, what is the. I don't know the, the the orientation behind which they are doing those things, and so yes, it, the hierarchy isn't something that um, that you can kind of say. Well, how are you spending your time? The, the the more time you spend with A means that's the highest point of the hierarchy yes. as opposed to B yeah. or C. However, I would also say that um, if there were ever um, a conflict, if any of the, if for instance, I, just maybe I shouldn't speak on Ryan's behalf. So if someone like Ryan um, 
if for, if, if for any reason his job had more demands on him than his family, I'm sure he would say, no, uh, my family would have to come first in that regard. Right. So if there was a conflict, I, I think the hierarchy would become a bit more clear in that regard yeah. in terms of conflicts. But he's been, I think that's not the case for him, that he's able to manage and juggle those things. But, um, but perhaps that's where the hierarchy comes in is if there were to be a conflict. And I think he can juggle those things in part because of what you just said, uh, alluded to is that proper vocational alignment. You know what I mean? because he has that vocational alignment and because his, his sort of like the things he brings, the atemporal priorities he brings sort of set him up and give him the bet, the best sense, you know, of how to like then in time prioritize what he needs Mm -hmm. to, you know, and it's a learning curve. I mean, he he would say as much and did it's, it's, he's not perfect at it. It's an imperfect process. And you might ask different people in that hierarchy, what, what, you know, what they think is true for him, it's it, it may not be, but he, he ultimately has to determine that. And that's, I think, part of that vocation question that we keep coming back to. But anyways, yeah, continue on. Yeah. Um, so we mentioned my brother's conversation with my brother, and I think that was that was helpful. And just the, the, the theme of the body that com- has come in various conversations and um, uh, and then he's the cosmos out of chaos. It was a helpful framework that, yeah. that we, that, that came out of our conversation. Um, we also mentioned Jarrell. And I think one thing that um, his conversation brings is that he brings himself to his work yeah. um, and, he, and how he kind of goes about um, interacting with his clients um, kind of, maybe that follows the second dimension of vocation is, is the personal, his personality, his, um, his kind of his gifts that he brings um, to what he does kind of sets the tone by who he is. And so, um, so that was, that was helpful to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then you mentioned Sarah um, and, and, um, and I think something interesting about what, in addition to what you, you mentioned was how she kind of makes a distinction between who we are called to be and what we are called to do. Um, and so, so that kind of goes in line yeah. with who we are called to be um, is more the universal um, that I think she actually said um, he's uh, God has given us his word and the life of Jesus to look at. And he's called us to conform to the image of Jesus um, but then the, the, what we do, our job, what we do with our day, our time, um, that, I, I, that I wonder that might be writing that poem, right? Yeah. I guess the, the, the second dimension, yeah. Writing the poem, the words we use, and perhaps it can also involve the, the, um, the form that that takes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, that, that metaphor you came up with that model serves that instance in Sarah's example so well. Yeah. And then finally, Jeff Compton Nelson was the most recent one. Um, and, and his was more of a, an abstract conversation about vocation, similar to the conversation we're having right now. Yeah. However, I did appreciate his, his personal experience sharing just how he's not even sure, um, even now what he's called to do and he's okay with that. And, um, that's something that I, I think I can relate to. I think a lot of people can relate to, and I really appreciated hearing that. Yeah. And I think what he teased out and something you guys touched on that I, I'd be remiss not to, to, to at least briefly mention in this 
episode was uh, you guys did delve into, and this is something he's experienced personally, this notion of ordination. And it, and it just, it just brought this to my mind and we can leave this without diving too deep, depending upon what you want to do. Uh, but when I think when we think through like concepts of ordination and calling insofar as they have specific roles in the church, we understand a socio-political state apart from a church and a church apart from sort of, or as one facet of life that we experience. And some of us might have more like totalizing, uh, church experiences where the church is invested and integrated into every facet of our life insofar as that's possible in the countries that we live in it's it's um we don't live in well i guess technically in britain you do or you are sort of a uh, there is no division of church and state uh, <laughs> formally uh, other than it's a, it's a secular society america for you know in lieu of everything going on is a secular society um with the separation of, of church and state. Um, uh, I say all that to just set up that like church exists in one maybe quadrant or, or in like the, the bubbles of our life of which we are the center church is there. I think most people experience it like that. And so um, when, we, when, when we then talk about ordination or calling, we imagine a line from ourselves going out to that bubble where there is church and the activities there within that then may have other little lines. If you imagine that kind of diagram uh, that come out of it and flow in as some people's that bubble is big. Other people that bubble might be small. The problem is, is that it's still a bubble apart from everything else. I think some of the intention of like when Jesus talks about the coming kingdom of God is, to, is, to, is to burst all of those bubbles. And it's not to necessarily create the John Calvin theocratic state but it is to say that like that like our allegiance to or our calling our ordination our priesthood uh is far more vast and generic and all-encompassing than i think we've we've often mm -hmm. uh, relegated it to being so yes. in, in that sense like yeah there are there might be specific roles still within this now larger uh tent or umbrella however um those those giftings or roles are should not be imagined and located to the institution that is that is church we need to we need i think my opinion is we need a reimagining and a re uh, envisioning of what it is uh that 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 church is and that participation in the body of christ is because a heck of a lot more people probably would then understand themselves as called or yes. ordained or a part of some priesthood and the, the, the institutional jobs that we've sort of manufactured in the last thousand years associated with preserving these entities that are churches uh, uh, would, would become less the focal point and, and people would probably be a little more proactive uh, or at least again, liberated to, to, to be fully themselves, fully uh, a part of God's, kingdom work and and fully ordained to that you know yes i like what you're saying because um it's it's something that yeah i think that we've i think we have been doing even if we're not we haven't been um consciously doing that is by highlighting these different uh people i think everyone we've spoken to are christians uh, most of them are not ordained 
in the sense of ordained to to be a leader in a church, but all of them, all of us as Christians, are ordained to be a part of this priesthood of all believers. That and that's that goes back to what I was mentioning earlier about um, being a priest and how Jonah is a priest yeah. offering his life to God and how we are all called to do that. And what I'm arguing is that that's our at our core, one of our, one of the universal things we're all called to do is to be priests and um, offering our lives to God in whatever realms that we have, whatever um, uh, responsibilities we are in, in the instance of Sarah, who you spoke to, that's through farming and through developing young people um, with, uh, with John, my brother, that's through, uh, with teaching um, with various people that could be through their, um, like with Ryan being a father, um, but those are just examples. Like all of, in all of those ways, they are priests that, um, that are kind of, um, receiving gifts and giving them back to God, um, through how they, how they serve the people in their lives. And I think that, and I think that's what you're, what you're saying. And, and so, uh, and, but so often we, we only limit, um, we only limit this calling to, or we only think that, the most important way to be called in this way is by being um, ordained in a certain ordained in the way that we usually understand ordination by, you know, by being a leader of a church uh, and an established. And I, I think at least in my mind, um, and maybe this is something, as I think you've mentioned, we, we need to talk about unpack more. We can't do it here, but to me, it seems that the role of an ordained person um, in the traditional sense is to equip and and, um, and and nurture the the rest of the, the what you call non-ordained people in living out their 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 ordination callings right. in in the quote unquote world around mm. and so so they so the ordained person is really a servant so that the others can actually be the ones who are um, living out their callings in whatever fields they're in. Right. Um, that's kind of how I, how I see it, but so often, but I, I agree with you that I think th- there needs to be an emphasis on what everyone else, what everyone else is doing, because that's where the, the work of redemption in this world can, you know, really blossom is through what we are doing. Uh, even if, you know, what the people we've spoken with this season, what they are doing, hearing that, uh, hearing what they're doing in the world, I think are examples of, um, people living out the, that priesthood. But so often um, we we limit calling to only the people that are um, that are ordained, um, and so I, th- I think that's what you're saying is that we need to really kind of empower lay people to to live out their callings, um, because uh, and to and to really value the the work that we as lay people are doing. Yeah, it's a sh- but it, but it requires it's a it definitely requires obviously a shift in language. It, it, there's some educational component to that, and yet it's some it can't but it can't be a pretentious one because clearly there's um I, and I can't speak universally you know or on behalf of everybody's understanding of this in the world just from my experiences and perceptions of communities I've been in and, and a part of. Um, yeah, we 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 deal with compartments a lot better, and so. Um, flattening those things, ditching those things, and then creating like language around which how, how to navigate that process is so important. So uh, this project, you know, where we're we're really we're really trying to define terms and mapping, you know, that that pro- process itself is so 
um, hopefully helpful. I mean, I, I know it is for me. Uh, I say that over and over again, but uh, this, this, this participation in this is as much for me as hopefully it's of some benefit to people listening as they continue to explore uh, with us uh, these, 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 you know, sort of uh, difficult and or complex terms and, and concepts. So I think that, that about, uh, that about says it for this episode, I'd imagine. Yes. Yes. I really enjoyed that. And I, and so, yeah, to our listeners, um, what did you think of what we've been saying? Do you disagree with something? Do you uh, find anything helpful? Do you have any, any suggestions for uh, the future guests that we have this season? Um, Any um, people that you, or groups of people you think we might be missing? Um, I know we haven't been as, as comprehensive as we should be, but if you have any recommendations, we really value your feedback. Absolutely. And so with that, on behalf of Josh and myself, Foreshadow is an online spiritual literary magazine rooted in the Christian faith. Our website is foreshadowmagazine.com, and we are on various social media platforms. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to now and share it through your own social channels. That is the forecast for today. Today.